This is Blue Moon. It's the original fan-made Manchester City podcast. Coming up, we've got news and views from City's Week. It's your club and this is your show. Two wins to kick off the return from the international break and two very welcome wins at that, given what the next few weeks has in store for Manchester City. The fixture list doesn't look like a simple thing to navigate through to December, so the more games that Pep Guardiola and co. can take three points in right now, the better. Beating Brighton was no simple task before a trip to Switzerland and young boys posed a new set of challenges. We'll be looking over both of those games shortly on this week's Blue Moon podcast. On top of that, it's time for the first Manchester derby of the season as City travelled to Old Trafford on Sunday. Stay tuned for thoughts on everything around that this week. And also on today's show, we'll be hearing from a former City goalkeeper who's gone down in infamy over one particular incident at Nottingham Forest. We'll hear the main road memories of Andy Dibble a bit later on, including what he thought of that incident with Gary Crosby in March 1990. Time to get to it, though. I'm David Mooney, and with me this week, I've got City fan Adam Keyworth. Hello. Nice to be back. Nice to have you back, Adam. And English football correspondent for TNT Brazil, Fred Caldera. Hi, Fred. Hello, David. I'm very happy to be here. Yeah, first time on the show, uh, a Brazilian called Fred based in Manchester. I'll be honest with you, when it was put to me like that, my hopes weren't that high. You have seen me (laughs) playing football and you know I'm absolutely horrendous. So, yeah. Well, I mean, there's stiff competition with the other Fred in Manchester, so don't uh, don't do yourself down there. (laughs) Yeah, he's gone. He's gone. He's in Turkey now. So I'm the only not very good at football Fred, Brazilian Fred in Manchester. So very lonely. Excellent. Well, at least you've got that title. Uh, Fred, um, I I don't mean to be be mean to you, uh, but you you asked Guardiola this week um, (laughs) one of uh, a a question that got one of my favourite ever Guardiola answers. So if at any point in this show you make a joke that's quite funny, you're going to get this. (laughs) You're so funny. Perfect. (laughs) Perfect. So... Because I'm not very funny, that would be very rare on this episode. I'll save it for uh, for, for any any joke of anybody through the show. So we'll we'll see how it goes. Adam, are you well? Are you uh, good to have you back? Yeah, um, no pressure. Big week, but yeah, uh, I don't think I've been a jinx the last few times I've been on. So that's good. That, there's no such thing as jinxes, so you're all right. Don't you don't need to worry mm. about it at all. <laughs> okay. Yeah, right. Well, let's get to Brighton and Young Boys first. Uh, for the 2023-24 season, the Blue Moon podcast is sponsored by Green King Sport, where football is more than a game. Green King is giving listeners of this podcast 20% off drinks until the 29th of October, an hour before, during and after the sport. That means it's the final few days for you to get this offer, and it includes this Sunday's Manchester Derby, which we'll be previewing a bit later on in the show. All you need to do is download the Green King Sports app. If you've not downloaded downloaded it before you'll even get a free welcome pint so head over to the app store download the green king sports app and get 20 percent off your round and don't miss a minute of the action um let's start then with um particularly brighton but uh, a little bit of a, of a word for young boys um adam i, I guess when you look at uh, in, in terms of two performances this week you can see just how important it is to have both uh rodri and john stones back can't you yeah and we've we've said before it's they did become our two most important players last season, I'd say. And I think the difference is not having either of them is when we look really in trouble and we really lack control. Um, having one of them is is obviously much better, but having them both, we just look a completely different team. We look more patient, we look more in control and we look a bit safer as well, which I think has been key at the minute because I know we're not conceding many goals, but it just feels like we're a little bit shakier shall we say this season yeah do you get that sense as well Fred at the minute that um City are maybe maybe just not collectively just all there at the moment 
I think so. I think so. Um, with with Rodri and Stones back, you can see that the, the fluency is back in a way. Um, the team is not speaking just the new language that Pep is trying to implement this season, but a bit of the old and winner language from last season. So, yeah, it was it was a bit unlucky to try to create a new city, let's say, in the beginning of a season without Rodri and Stones, for sure. Yeah. What, uh, what do you think we've learned in the, the last couple of uh, weeks, Fred, about what City can do without them in the future? Because uh, as much as, as it's been good to have them back, I mean, you've got to learn lessons from, from the last few weeks, haven't you? Well, to be fair, I think one of the lessons is that you can't count on Phillips. I know that's not very happy for the fans, but really it is quite problematic to see. I don't know if it's because of the lack of rhythm, if he would get better with two, three, four starts in a row, but City can't afford that, can they? So, I don't know. Um, I would like to see more of Rico Lewis, to be fair, especially without Stones and Rodri. Yeah. Um, Lewis came back in for young boys, Adam. Um, once again, got man of the match. It's just, like sometimes it's difficult to believe he's 18, isn't it? Yeah, he's he's been brilliant. Um, somebody put on Twitter last night, I can't remember who it was, but... You send him over to Dortmund and you're talking about the next big star in world football. Um, I still don't know where he plays, which is quite funny. We've seen him play <laughs> right back, seen him play six. We've seen him play like a really aggressive eight, almost a ten. I do really like him. I think there's a lot he can improve on, but that, I think, if anything, just kind of excites you more, doesn't it, to see where he could end up. Um, I don't know if he's the answer, though. I think going back to the question of how... How does City deal without Rodri or Stones in the team? I really don't know if there is an answer and I certainly don't think Pep's found it, Uh, which is slightly concerning. Like Fred says, City can't rely on Phillips. I mean, he he got a couple of minutes, didn't he, against young boys right at the end. But I really don't know if there's a fix within that team to replace probably the best defensive midfielder in the world and our best centre-half on the ball. So it's, it's going to be a struggle. And you almost don't want to put the pressure on Rico Lewis at 18 either. To, to fill that gap yet so I, I mean he could probably handle it because he he looks totally unfazed by everything which is pretty amazing yeah it's uh, when you think about it Fred um I'm I, Guardiola probably won't and I know we're getting ahead of ourselves looking at, at the derby here but uh, Lewis is at the stage of his career where he's 18 he's playing in in this city team and if he were to start on Sunday nobody would really raise an eyebrow he's kind of earned that already he has, and and rightly so. It's like like Adam said. It's it's one of those things that if you see him in a Shakhtar Donetsk or a Borussia Dortmund, you would think, oh, okay, we we would be happy to spend sixty million on this new lad to to bring him mm-hmm. over, and he's a product from the academy. So yeah, the club should be very proud. And what's next for him? I don't know. Like we know that Pep is always careful with introducing youngsters to the club like Phil Foden, well, Jadon Sancho, we know that he didn't have the patience, and Rico has having the patience. So I don't know. I would like to see him more, though. Yeah, he's, um, he's he's certainly the one to uh, to keep an eye on. I mean, you, you mentioned the the Foden thing. Um, he's played something like three times the number of minutes Foden played at, at his age. It's it's ridiculous the amount of uh, first team football he's been trusted with mm. as a as a youngster. It's uh, it's incredible, really. Um, let's have a look uh, a little bit further up the pitch because um, Adam. 
against Brighton, City got a lot of joy down the left-hand side, uh, opposite flank from from where Lewis has been playing recently. Um, do you feel, though, that 2-0 at half-time, they possibly should have made a little bit more of that joy they were getting down the left? I do think so, yeah. I think Milner coming off may have changed things slightly. Um, but Docker in the first half was... I mean, you actually just couldn't take your eyes off him. He got the ball and the whole stadium just got up a bit. And I don't think we've had that since probably early days Sane, which is really exciting. Um, I don't really know what changed, you know. Veltman went over, didn't he, onto the uh, right-hand side of the defence. But we just seemed to really, really step back a little bit. And I did think at 2-0, get another goal here and we can really, really ease off. But as we know, the game the game got a little bit hairy at the end. So yeah. I think the success Doku was getting, especially he did kind of think, right, um, what can we do to really punish them? But him taking Milner off kind of killed that vibe a little bit because, I mean, Milner was getting torn apart, which you don't see very often. I mean, so was Walker at the other end a bit later in the game, but we may get to that later. So Yeah. Well, let's let's hear from Deserby because after the game, uh, he was asked basically about his decision to put uh, a 37-year-old James Milner up against uh, Jeremy Doku. Um, and he, he basically explained that uh, the problem wasn't that 1v1 battle. It was elsewhere on the pitch, but it allowed City to get that 1v1 battle. This is what he said. In the second half, uh, we played better. I think we played with more energy, with more courage, with more personality. We kept order on the pitch, especially without the ball. The problem in the first half uh, wasn't Milner, because we gave much time, too much time to the defender, the midfielder of City to find uh, Doku. It's not problem of uh, Milner. I changed it in half time because uh, he couldn't play more than 60, 55 minutes. And I spent one change for Welbeck already and was the the, the best uh, decision to to change him in the half time if you enjoy the show please give it a rating and a review wherever you get your podcasts That uh, also goes to explain uh, a question that Darren Watson asked us on Twitter. Um, Brighton did use four breaks to make their changes when only three sub-windows are allowed, uh, but half-time doesn't count as a substitute window, which is why uh, Deserby says there that he took Milner off when he did. Um, Fred, when you, when you look at, at how Brighton adapted for the second half, um, what did you make of City's approach to that ad- adaptation? Because it, it felt very much in the second half like, like Guardiola seemed pretty happy for the game to get a bit stodgy and for them to just kind of live with the 2-0 lead as long as Brighton didn't come into it anymore. It was it was a rare sight, wasn't it? When when you have a game at the Etihad and, and City are happy with the final whistle uh, because they just have one goal up. <laughs> um I think I think it says a lot about Brighton and the the courageous that the Zerbi grows into the club and I, I I really really am a fan of them. But I think it is going to be Difficult to see another team doing that with City in Manchester. So I don't know. I don't know. I did. I did. I didn't like it that City allowed Brighton to be that comfortable on the ball. Yeah. Do you, Do you feel that City did allow it, Adam, or was it a case of Brighton becoming braver in the tight areas? You know, they 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 didn't give City as much time as they did in the first half. Was it? Is it as much City easing off, or is it more? You know, we've got to give some credit to the opposition. I think it's a bit of both, and. Um... 
there were some fans around us getting a little bit angry and another fella said to them, well, this is just what we did all last season where it doesn't really matter the score as Pep thinks he can conserve energy. And I'm not saying that's what he was doing, but it definitely felt like they really did just step back rather than it becoming too... I don't, I don't think at any point in the game we were really poor. It just felt like they just stepped off a little bit and allowed the pressure to come in. I think Welbeck coming off, and Deserby said it here uh, in his interview, Welbeck coming off actually helped them. I think they had much better hold-up play. It allowed them to bring Mitoma, who was unbelievable in the last 20 minutes. It's not, uh, not really... often Walker struggles like that, is it? Oh, he got murdered by Matoma for about 10 minutes. It was, I've not seen that for a long time, um, anyone do that to Walker. So we let him get on the ball because the hold-up play was better and they were letting two men run in behind. So I think it was as much City stopping a little bit as Brighton coming into it. And as Fred said, it's quite rare that you see the players celebrating a 2-1 win at home against anybody, never mind when they've been 2 nil up. So a bit of a shaky game, but it was so important that they held on at the end. I mean, the ref was adding on so much added time at the end. It, I think he added four on and then it became the hundredth minute where he was giving free kicks every time we got near the ball. So it did get a bit messy, but we got over the line in the end. So that's all that matters. Yeah. I want to ask you as well, Adam, uh, a little bit of a potentially cheeky question here, because um, obviously you said earlier on about uh, Doku and, and how exciting he was to watch. Um, given the the positions he got into, especially against Milner, but uh, maybe in the second half as well, um, are we seeing there a little bit of a difference between Grealish and himself when it comes to end products? Because as much as as, as exciting as it, as it was for him to get into those positions, you know, there there wasn't an assist at the end of it. There wasn't a finish at the end of it at times. And you kind of like, you know, after that kind of opening salvo from City, the the early two goals, you kind of you you, you maybe need to get a little bit more, um, be a, a bit more clinical in those positions, I guess. Yeah, I think he was actually quite frustrating after, as you say, the first couple that went through. And I think if you look at Grealish in the young boys game, especially the first 40 minutes, he could have had three assists. He was His final ball was brilliant. He looked a little bit more direct. And I, I actually think Doku being Grealish's uh, competition in the team on that left-hand side will improve Grealish because... He knows now he has to be slightly more direct because he's seen the fans getting a bit excited about Doku. He's seen the press getting really excited about Doku and, and Doku has that eye-catching little buzz about him. But Grealish's control and knowing when to pass is still there. And I do think people are forgetting just what he did and how he kept, how he kept us in games. And at the end of the game, it's perfect for Grealish. You, you don't really want Doku giving the ball away. In the last ten minutes, you you want trying something, like yeah. You you want someone yeah. who's going to hold it, yeah. And people were getting annoyed at Grealish because of it, because he was holding the ball and and giving it back to Rodri or or pulling it back inside when he could have gone out, taking the man on. But he's a more intelligent footballer, I think, than Doku at the moment. Doku's potential is obviously ridiculous, but Grealish has that temperament to know when to slow it down know when to speed it up and I, I do think you saw against young boys that he looked a bit more direct I don't know if it was just me and just overthinking the fact that oh, Doku's been really direct but Grealish's final ball seemed a little bit sharper as well so I think that's only a good thing yeah, Fred. Um, I was going to ask if you thought people had forgotten quickly how uh, how, Im- how important Grealish was to City last season 
Yeah, I, th I think that's a very interesting debate, really. Because um, if this is the deal, like, okay, Doku is great and direct and he will get the fullbacks in trouble and Grealish is control. Is that as good as a deal for Jack as it is for City, really? For him just to be that bureaucratic um, end of the match kind of guy to to secure the score. I know I know I'm I'm, I'm stretching a bit the argument here, yeah. but I do I do think that if like Adam said, the Doku effect gives Relish a bit of fire, that would be ideal because I think Relish is too good to be just a score guarantee. Yeah, control merchant sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, how how important do you think it was that they actually played well together against young boys? Because it, it kind of it kind of puts this it kind of puts the argument that Guardiola has to pick one or the other and not both to bed because it, it just proved on Wednesday night that they could both play together. They could, and and it's interesting and it's uh, exciting, uh, especially when you see Grealish being direct as well. And you, oh, okay, yeah, of course he can do that as well. Um, so I do think it's. It's perfect for City because you have different um, styles, different nuances in your squad. And obviously when they played together, I, I didn't want to be the, the fullback. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that is, uh, that's a fair point. And uh, I mean, I can't imagine any fullbacks in the uh, in the league particularly pleased with facing Doku the way he can go one way or the other and accelerate as quickly as he does. Um Adam, let's talk about Foden because uh, as impressive and eye-catching as Doku was against Brighton, um, Foden was once again City's biggest threat throughout, I thought. Yeah, and if uh, if we could finish properly at the minute, which is probably our biggest issue this season, Foden's assist would, would be, his number of assists would be racking up. He looks more controlled. He looks a bit more patient. His temperament seems to have improved massively. I know that he could get really frustrated, couldn't he, in the last couple of seasons. If something didn't go his way, he seems to have grown up massively and he's going under the radar a little bit, which I think is a good thing. I mean, you saw how well he played for England and I think a big sign is that he seems to be one of the first names again on Pep's team sheet. He left him out of the young boys' game. I think he's a shoe in for the United game. Yeah, um, kind of screams it, screams that you're going to play in the derby, that, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And deservedly so, because nobody can get near De Bruyne's um, creativity and his productivity. But Foden offers you something so much different on the half turn. But it's not just that anymore, is it? It's not just the little dummied half turn where he beats a man and then he runs on and, and puts someone through. He's got so much more dynamism about him and different range of passing it's it's really good and I hope that him and Haaland can find the link up again because we saw at the start of last season that how dangerous that can be and I think it's so much better now that he's not just being put on the left if we're missing a left winger he's he's playing in such a random position which is almost like a an inside right wing number 10 I don't know what on earth it is but it's working yeah um so I just hope that he can continue to get the game time. De Bruyne obviously will be back around Christmas time. I think he can make that position his own until then and beyond then as well. I don't I don't think De Bruyne is going to walk back into this team because of his injury record at the moment anyway. So, yeah, I really want Foden to just... I think if we could have anything, it's just more output now. I think everything's there. It's just 
racking up a few more assists, getting a few more of the goals that he was getting last year, and he'll he'll be completely undroppable, I'm sure. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting, uh, Fred, that um, De Bruyne's absence has kind of given Foden this opportunity and he's really taken the opportunity. And it's uh, a lot of people were calling for him to play centrally and, you know, Guardiola and Southgate have talked about that. Um, and it, it just doesn't really matter because you look at, at where he plays, he ends up in the middle anyway, whether or not he's designed to play there. And it's kind of it, it, the impact it's having on City's uh, creativity is huge. Yeah, yeah. Like, I think technically speaking, He's one of my favorite players in English football in the in the past years. Like he is amazing, and when he becomes what I think inevitably he will, the the full midfielder, the full offensive player. Well, he's young. He's he was a teenager until like two weeks ago. So <laughs> give him time, and he will become what what I think is going to be an undroppable player for City for England. Like he is magnificent. Uh, but it is curious to see that after uh, De Bruyne injury, Alvarez has been the one um, with the assists and the goals and, and and the headlines and less so of Phil. So I don't know. I'm interested to see how this dynamic develops until yeah. Kevin is back. Yeah. Um, Adam mentioned Haaland as well. He's uh, scored in back-to-back games for the first time since Fulham and West Ham about a month ago. Um, still missed a lot of chances on Wednesday night. It, it, do you still feel, uh, Fred, that he is um, as inevitable as he used to be? When when he used to go running through on goal, you'd just go, oh, well, that's a goal. And I don't know if you still have that feeling anymore. I know. I know he's been missing some sitters, hasn't he? Like, I know he always has. Like, City creates... A number of opportunities that no striker in the world could convert. Like if 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 not even Haaland can, who couldn't? But um, it is a bit weird because sometimes you can see it's his own fault. Like there is no one else to blame. It's not it's not unluckiness. Like he's just making the wrong decisions. But this is still amazing. Like scoring like like he was born to. So yeah, I understand the. Uh, underlying concern but I don't understand the criticism really yeah Adam are you uh, are you still getting the same sort of um feeling that I I, I don't know it's it's almost an anxiety of I hope he scores rather than he's going to score this I don't know is that is that (laughs) fair yeah and he set the bar impossibly high didn't he last (laughs) season especially at the start like he scored every single touch he had it felt like I mean I, I suppose the worrying thing is and you saw it against young boys He's scoring the difficult chances, but the chances he's missing would make Sterling blush. Like some of those like back posts sliding in that he's missing. I don't know what that's all about. I but, don't know how he um, missed it. The one where Doku fed it across the box. Um, no I don't know how idea. he missed it. Yeah. No idea. But I did think when he scored the the little half turn right footed curler against Young Boys, I thought, oh, what a great time to be putting that one away for his confidence. So. Um, yeah, we know that he will relish playing United at weekend. So hopefully he's he's found his his golden touch again. Yeah, Fred, do you feel um, that this is it, it, it's maybe not a Haaland problem? It's maybe a wider City problem in that they they've changed a little bit with how they're they're setting up this season. And I mean Wednesday night aside, they they maybe not finding it as easy to get Haaland in the good positions. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it does. It does resemble a bit that um, short period last season 
in the first half of the season where City and Haaland were speaking two different languages after the glorious start and the glorious second half. There was this that short period. Um, it does remind me of that sometimes, but he's still scoring. He's still scoring important goals. I think the derby will give us a better assessment on how worrying that is on the big occasions. You see stats pop up all the time about clubs and players, and you want to know that exact thing about City. There's an answer. Statcity.co.uk Want to find out all of the players who played alongside club legends like David Silva, Sergio Aguero or Vincent Company? Or maybe you'd like to know which team found it hardest to score past Joe Hart. You can find out City's record in every competition, at every stadium and under every manager. Just go to statcity.co.uk and browse away. That's statcity.co.uk Ad-free episodes are available on Patreon. Sign up at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. Let's look a little bit further back because uh, there was a change in goal for City against uh, Brighton. Um, it ultimately came down to Edison being back late from international duty. Uh, Guardiola confirmed it in the post-match press conference. This is what he said. The travel from, from Eddie from Brazil for a long time, of course, it happened many times and played, but he played two games there and arrived. And the first day when I was so, so tired and, and you know, sometimes I like to normally Ortega play Carabao Cup. Now we are at the Fair Cup and some games. And sometimes I like, even for it is good, you know, to rest a little bit, fresh your mind. Sometimes other players are tired, you know, a keeper can be tired too. And and with the with the ball is really really good. His composer, his patient, the quality of the pass. So that's why that's why we decide we decide for him. This is the Blue Moon podcast. Listen to it. Drink it in. So um, nothing kind of bigger than that uh, to worry about. Fred, in terms of Edison, um, I'm interested from your point of view, because obviously you are Brazilian. What, what's, uh, what's Edison standing in the Brazil squad these days? I think after Neymar's injury, he might be the number 10 in the next World Cup. In our <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, hang on, hang um, on. That, that's play a... the clip. <laughs> oh, yeah. You're so funny. Yeah, needed to do that. <laughs> Thank you again, Pep. Um it's interesting that, that at the moment because we have a new manager, Fernando Diniz. He is working part-time for the national team, believe it or not, because he works for a Brazilian club as well. Anyway, that aside, he's the new manager in town and he has been giving Edison more chances ahead of Alisson. And that didn't happen before. Like Alisson was our main keeper in the last two World Cups in Russia and Qatar. So now... Edison might be finally um, ahead of Alisson. Like, they are two excellent goalkeepers. I honestly, I don't know who I would prefer to have. I think it depends on the style of the team. And Edison is ahead of Alisson at the moment. Yeah. Um, in terms of um, kind of Edison's development, you've you've seen him um, kind of for, for several years now at City. And... I, I don't know. I'm, I'm getting the sense that he feel, it feels like he's a lot more grown up these days. If that's if that's a fair thing to say about his performances, he seems to. He doesn't seem to make as many rash decisions as he used to. 
Yeah, I agree with you. And he's like a better uh, shot stopper, isn't it? Like he is, I think, overall better than the Edison that just caught our eyes by being a good enough goalkeeper, but uh, superb with his feet and distribution. I think he's adding up to his game to be all around City level goalkeeper. Yeah, sure. Like, wow. The, the Champions League final was just unforgettable, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, at the same time, Adam, uh, a lot of people have suggested that Ortega is uh, is too good to be a number two. Uh, what did you make of him in uh, in Edison's absence at the weekend? Uh, he didn't do too much wrong, did he? But just the glaring difference is just there's something about Edison and being on his left foot which makes me comfortable because the way that the defenders pass the ball to him, they're used to him being on his left foot. I think when you put Ortega in there and he's right-footed, they're having to change the way that they pass. Does that sound really stupid? I no, it's, really I, I know, it makes sense. I mean, whether it's true or not, I, I couldn't tell you. It, but. It, just, it, just, it always looks a little bit more awkward. Um, I don't think Ortega's quite as imposing. His shot-stopping might be better on the whole, but uh, even when he came out for, I think it was either a free kick or a corner, right at the end of the Brighton game, and he came and caught it. But he, ne- he never looked like he was going to get there, and I thought, oh, God, here we go. Um, he is a very good goalkeeper, though. I just think we've set such a wonderful standard with Edison, the way that City play. You couldn't drop Edison into many other teams because it just wouldn't work out, I don't think. But you could with Ortega. Ortega could go to name any top six club who need a goalkeeper, and he'd do very well. Yeah, Nearly um, ended up at Bayern Munich, of course, in the summer. He, so, did. Yeah. he did. And it wouldn't surprise me if he does leave in the next year or so because... As Pep even alludes to, he tries to play him, and he try. He, he would have had the Carabao Cup run, but we got knocked out. We've got the FA Cup to come. Um, his chances will be fewer unless something happens to Edison. So, yeah, it's, I mean, it's great that we've got two two fully functioning goalkeepers because look at the other year um, with. He who I will not name after the Liverpool semi-final. <laughs> I, I, I was going to say, you said look at the other year. It could have been any year. <laughs> um, yeah, it actually could. And it is nice that we've got two really good, the functioning goalkeepers who have hands and feet. Um, but Edison, for me, is just, it's a different level when he plays to when he doesn't. Yeah. Do you, do you think we saw um, against Brighton, and this is hypercritical, I guess, of, uh, of Ortega, but do you think we saw um, the the big advantage of having Edison there with his distribution? Because there was a number of times with uh, with Ortega where those little chip passes to the wings just were, were maybe a yard too short and, and just dropped to a Brighton chest under pressure, where you feel Edison would probably just ping that and, and land it where it needs to land. Yeah, and that's the thing, isn't it? It's, it's the same again as with the, the Haaland debate about the standard that he's set Edison's set an unmatchable standard for distribution there's nobody who can do it like he can and you saw it in the young young boys game Haaland kept coming to the halfway line and Edison was just pinging it straight down the middle of the pitch and into Haaland's feet and we missed that and the other thing is it gives us another option there was times in that Brighton game we were getting really penned in and Ortega's not as well equipped to to find the ball over the top or to, as you said, hit the fullback and get us out again. So it's as, as much of a case of Edison is better when we're attacking as to like, if we're in real trouble, he can get us out of it by just launching the ball to wherever we need it. So Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, well, let's stick with the goalkeepers. And uh, we're going to talk weird things now because uh, City have had some weird things happen to them down the years. One of the incidents that stands out most happened at Nottingham Forest in March 1990. That was where Howard Kendall's side lost 1-0 to a controversial goal by Gary Crosby. I've been speaking to Andy Dibble, the goalkeeper who conceded it. We'll come on to that incident shortly, but we start by discussing why he decided to join City from Luton in 1988. As a kid, it had been one of my... Um favourite teams not a lot of people know this um, so it all seemed to be a team in blue and I ended up playing for three of them one was Cardiff City one was Manchester City and one was Glasgow Rangers and also Joe Corrigan was a big idol of mine um, Alex Williams as well uh, it, it had kind of been a knock-on effect from following the team when I was a little bit younger and looking at you know the love for goalkeepers. When you look at Joe, and, and I learned a lot about um, how hard he'd worked to get to the top of the tree in his profession. Um, and then obviously playing for England, um, probably should have had more caps, but he was at a time where there was uh, Peter Shilton and Ray Clements. And I think goalkeepers in those days tended to be a smaller. And Joe was one of the probably the bigger goalkeepers of that era. No disrespect, bigger goalkeepers don't move as quickly as younger goalkeepers, but um, it was just interesting for me to to see how well he'd done being so big. Yeah, um, and obviously when you when you moved to City, um, Mel Machen was the manager at the time. Uh, what was he like to work with as uh, as your first City boss? Oh, Mel Mel was fantastic, and obviously um, he and his um, his staff, you know, they were the people that got in touch with me. They didn't do anything wrong. Obviously, my contract was coming to an end, um, but he really impressed me um, when I came to speak to them. I knew how big the club was anyway. I knew it had a massive fan base. And uh, he talked about getting back in the first division, which is obviously the Premier League now. I was fortunate enough in my first season to um, be promoted. So, you know, it was fantastic. And to come to a, I mean, come to a club that has massive support is fantastic playing in front of big crowds week in, week out. When you get to, towards the end of the season, um, you, you picked up an injury ahead of the run-in. Um, was it was it difficult to watch the the, the final few games just because of, of of the fact that you can't you can't you can't play any part in it? It was, and I'll never forget them days because obviously my groin went twice in the second game when it went home to Palace. I think there must have been forty two thousand in the stadium. I'm sure it was a massive crowd. Uh, but when I came off at half time, I, I felt so. Uh, well, the pain I had was terrible. Like you know, I, I couldn't believe that I was going to miss such an exciting part part of the season. You know, and it wasn't a nice feeling coming off at half time with uh, the injury I had, which was quite serious, really. Don't know if it happened in these days, but I, I had an injection into my um, pelvic area. I'm not sure they do that these days. I'm not scared to admit it because in them days you you, you did those things. There's no blame attached to anybody involved with the football club, the medical staff. I wanted to go ahead with it. I, I, I don't think it uh, it happens these days, though. Yeah. Um, when you come to, to those games as well, but obviously at that time, uh, there were no substitute goalkeepers on the bench. So was there more pressure on you to kind of play through it because of that as well? Did you Even if it's not from kind of Mel or, or anybody else, it's just kind of from yourself. Well, it would have caused me more harm than good. I probably would have let the team down because I couldn't move. And obviously we all know Nigel Gleggon went in goal and, and done a good job. He practiced a bit in training. Um, it's a good, it's a good thing to have up your sleeve, really. If you do have half a decent goalkeeper, I think I remember Nal Quinn coming on then. In a, I wasn't playing that game. It was Tony Coat, and I think when he came on and saved the penalty, 
Yeah. Um, I want to talk uh, a little bit about the the final couple of games, because obviously you're you're watching from from the sidelines um, and, you know, Bournemouth at home. It looks as if the team is is absolutely coasting and suddenly from three nil it goes to three three. What what are you thinking as you as you're having to watch it? I couldn't believe it because I was doing a little bit for the I think it was the radio, local radio, uh, TV and local radio. Uh, it just shows you're never safe in a football game and three nil up. I thought we were home and dry. Um and all of a sudden, the game turns on his head, and it's a three-all draw. I think nobody could believe it. Yeah, and then you get to to Bradford as well, and um, I mean, obviously, you're thinking, well, it's you know, just get the job done, and suddenly it's one nil, and you're you're having to find an equaliser. What? So what, what? What was it then like again, reliving it the next week? Well, I was worse. I felt worse watching rather than playing. Uh, so such a tense, tense affair, um, as you can imagine. And um, then in that game, I mean, fair to you know. From the season we've had, I thought we deserve to go up anyway, and, and the, everything t- uh, turned round for us on that day, and we, we win the game. So the feeling after was, um, well, any promotion's great, but with a you know with a club like City, it was fantastic, fantastic feeling. Yeah, what was it? What was it like when uh, Mel Machin left? Did you did it have any sort of disruption to the squad, or did you? I mean, he's the manager that brought you in, and then suddenly it's it, it's all changed. There, do you get nervous as a player when that sort of thing happens? Yeah, it was difficult for a few of us because obviously Mel had brought us in. Um, personally, uh, everybody, well, from my point of view and from the, we all thought it was too early, but uh, football decisions gets made. You might not always like them, and yeah, then you're looking over your shoulder then. Um, to the manager that comes in. Yeah, how did how did things change under Howard Candle? I, I think Howard did a brilliant job. I mean, obviously he's not sadly not here with us anymore. He did a brilliant job, and we ended up um, staying in that league. Um, from a personal point of view, uh, I thought my form was good. Um, had that incident at Forest, which I suppose kind of cost me in Howard's eyes. I, I'm not sure. Um, I felt as if I was playing probably the best football of my career, but. Then again, you know, no disrespect, managers have to make decisions and he, he brings TC in, who's still a very good friend of mine. Yeah, yeah so it was, it was a difficult one for me to take, really. Yeah. Now, you, you mentioned uh, Forrest. We, uh, we we kind of have to talk a little bit about Gary Crosby. Um, do, you, do you still, like, even to this day, do you, do you know how that goal was allowed to stand? No, I don't. And I suppose I created history because when you see the rule changes now, I mean, if that would have been today, they'd been off, off the field, I think, for ungentlemanly conduct. Would that be the, the word? I'm a, uh, I felt really hard done by... Um, it was a... a people... Uh, listen, you can never get away from it. Even now, go on holiday, go to my home in Spain, you can turn up in a sports bar and it'll be shown over and over again. So it'll never go away. But the rules nowadays have changed. It did set the precedent because the next season, it, things like that weren't allowed. Even when balls were put on the floor, you know, it... it Goalkeepers then checked behind them, didn't they? And I suppose one thing. I mean, I and I've bumped into him on numerous occasions since I became on the on the coaching side. Um, obviously, he works with Nigel Clough. Um, we always have a laugh and a joke about it, but uh, you can see the funny side of it later on. But at the time, it, it it wasn't a nice feeling, you know what I mean? Especially when you come off and yeah, the feeling of well, just just so angry and upset after, and ultimately it cost us the game. Yeah, did you did you make? Well, obviously, you spoke to the referee on the pitch. What was he? What was he saying to you at the time? Was he was he explaining why he'd given the goal or anything like that? Well, Roger Gifford's a Welshman. I'll never forget him. He's a lovely man. And during my time at Cardiff City, as as you know, we had a great time. We got in the Premier League. Uh, 
Roger became an assessor and I always used to try and have a laugh and a joke about it, but he was always reluctant to talk about it. <laughs> so the number of times I approached him, didn't want to talk about it. And oh, he always smiled. And I, I said, Roger, that cost me my place at Manchester City, that goal. <laughs> He'd always have a laugh about it. Yeah. Is it, is it difficult with the fact that it is such an infamous incident that it, it kind of follows you around? Is that, is it, is it, is it difficult to have something like that over your career when you've you know you've had a you've had a long career with plenty of good saves at, at plenty of clubs and then everything everybody remembers this one incident? Um, it's interesting, really, because you can go to Wembley and, and and win the sorry I didn't win the cup for Luton Town. I made a penalty save at the tunnel end, which gave Luton Town and and its major its fantastic support uh, such a great day out to win the Littlewoods Cup on that day, you know, and I played a pivotal part in it, uh, as did many others. Uh, so, yeah, it does become difficult because you can make a save in a major cup final and people always remember the, the negative side. So, it, But as you get older, you learn to deal with it. Yeah. Um, now, you mentioned uh, Tony Coton coming in. Um, how did you feel when when the club brought him in? Because obviously you've, you've, you, you felt you were playing the, the best football of your career at that point. Yeah, I did. But... It's like everything. You get used to, you know, like I said, managers have to make decisions and you learn more of it when you become a coach and you see more of it. So at the time I found it um, difficult to take. But, you know, as I said, we had great competition. Um, we always battled well in training. There was no bad feeling between us and we're still great friends now. Um, and Tony's a great goalkeeper. Uh, so it was one of them. But I was fortunate in them days, as as everybody knows, that... Uh, you mentioned the uh, not having a substitute goalkeeper on the bench. It enabled me. So it was beneficial for me because I ended up going out on numerous loans and playing football, which is all I wanted to do. So things have changed. And I do feel these days for, I mean, I'm in a position now where, don't want to bore you too much with it, but I'm um, obviously now my career's past change. I'm in Akron, Stanley, living back in the north in Wilmslow. I'm looking at goalkeepers, but I'm looking for young goalkeepers all the time. But some of them don't make their debuts till they're 23, 24 and have no experience. And you're seeing number two goalkeepers sat on the bench and they haven't even, they're earning the fortune. Listen, I'm not criticising the money they earn for sure, but they've not even played 100 league games. Yeah, you, uh, you've said previously as well that um, there was one game against uh, Villa at Main Road in uh, in the 1991 season. Um, and I think you said it was, you felt like it was your best ever in a City shirt. Um, what made that one so special for you? There was a, there was a number of good saves in there. Are, are there any that stand out to you? Well, a lot of people have said to me that that was probably one of the, on that evening, was one of the best goalkeeping performances they've seen at Main Road. Uh, which I take pride from. It was nice to have so many comments. Uh, I went to Sheffield United on the Saturday, only thinking I was playing. And an hour and 15 minutes before the game kicks off, I told them not. So it was like another thing to deal with. But it goes back to again, and Howard Kendall was great. He, he was the manager and he preferred Tony Colton to me. So there was, it wouldn't have matter what I'd done, I was never going to play. Yeah, there was a there was a double save at the end of that Villa game. Do you remember it where you got down? Yeah, um, yeah. I remember it, but you know, these, these things are put in front of you and you have to deal with them. So um, it was the, the, coming off the pitch that night was an unbelievable feeling because I mean people were singing my name and the adulation that night, and so looking forward to I'll, I'll keep me place, I'll keep me place, and you know 
didn't play on the Saturday, so I'll try and get over, but you get over them in the end. Yeah, the uh, the, the the strange thing about that night is it's it's quite often remembered for for um, being the night that Paul Lake sustained his injury as well. Um, what what did you see of that? Were you, were you were, did you get a view of it when it happened? Yeah, I was right. You know, I was just going to touch on that. You've you've obviously read my mind. I was just going to touch on that, and it sadly will be remembered. I'll never forget that he was probably one of the most gifted uh, footballers I've played with and uh, certain would have gone being an England international and had a a strong, a long and strong career. Um, Such a a devastating injury, you know. Um, I've seen it, but at the time, it's difficult when it happens that quickly. Uh, You you don't realise it. Perhaps in today's game, I don't know, maybe he would have come through it, got through it, but um, everything he went through after to try and get fit, he did everything possible he could to try and come back, and it was so sad seeing the pain he went through, but just couldn't get there in the end. Yeah, uh, the role of goalkeepers probably changed the most uh, out of any for in, in the last kind of twenty, thirty years or so. Um, as part of your career, the world of football changed quite radically with the with the back pass law change. Um, what effect did that have for you? How did, did did it change the way you had to play? Yeah, it did. And, and as everybody knows, I ended up breaking my leg when we went to Ireland because the ball came back to me in a pre-season friendly. And I I didn't know whether to pick it up or kick it. I opted to kick it. And uh, we were on tour in, in Ireland. The oncoming player went through me and I ended up with a broken leg. So, and when the back pass came in, I think I would have been 26, 27, I'm, I'm guessing now. It, it, it was difficult and it would have been difficult for a lot of goalkeepers of my age because as you know nowadays they you know they're taught at six seven eight years of, of age when they become goalkeepers to become footballers first and then goalkeepers after obviously I love seeing it being played in the pretty way it's, it's great I've also been on that side of it where um you know through the through my coaching career the higher I've been, I can see the easier it is to manage because you've got the better players. You look at, I mean, Manchester City epitomise it, obviously. It's fantastic. Whenever I go to a game, I'm purring when I see Edison and they play it out. Lower down the league, leagues, I'm, 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 I'm not so sure it's always the right thing to do if you try and force things when, you know, common sense, really, when you haven't got the right players to deal with balls in tight areas. I, I do think the goalkeepers now, obviously, we work on that all the time. Um, it should be practised. But then sometimes you can put your own net and make yourself vulnerable by if somebody loses the ball in front of you. My idea of, of it now is really you need a goalkeeper that can do everything, play short, mid and long. And when you look at the likes of Edison, the majority of times they do play short, but boy, when they play long, um, he's fantastic. He can hit a long ball onto Haaland and it can be in the in the back of the opposition net as we've all seen within, I don't know, 40, 50 seconds, is it? Less than that, I'm not, I'm not sure. Do you know what I mean? Check out exclusive City interviews on our website, bluemoonpodcast.com. That was Andy Dibble speaking to me about his time at Main Road. Uh, The full 30-minute interview is available for Patreon backers right now. Head on over to patreon.com forward slash bluemoonpodcast if you want to hear the full thing. It'll also be available in full for free at the end of the season. Um, Now then, time to uh, have a look to uh, the big one this weekend, the Manchester derby. Um, And I wanted to start uh, kind of away from the pitch, Adam, because uh, the tone of this last week... um, 
do you feel like City fans have been unfairly tarred by the actions of a few at the Brighton game? Uh, yeah, but did we expect anything less? Like, I, I don't think we expected anything other than that. As soon as that little video came out of the two young lads being little... Uh, I won't swear because we're, we're nice on this podcast. Um, it's just... There's always something in the build-up to a derby, isn't there? If it's not the fans, it's something a player's done. If it's not a player, it's a manager. There's always something, but the way that it's blown up... And we've seen today that City have suspended the two uh, underage minors, by the way. If you want to tar all the City fans like some of the press have, it's two young kids who've been done for this, two stupid little kids who've been done. And if, if anything, I feel like it's dangerous, the way that it's been covered. Um, for for many regards, not nothing more than the fact that two and a half thousand City fans are going to travel to Old Trafford on Sunday with 70,000 United fans who are all thinking, oh, this lot, have you seen what they did last week? It's it's daft, it's it's stupid, it's really predictable, but it, if anything, it's dangerous. And we saw what happened in the uh, before the build-up to the Munich Air Disaster anniversary game in 08, and nothing's really changed, has it? Yeah. Uh, Fred, were you surprised at how um, vocal, I think, uh, both the Premier League and City themselves were about this? It was almost a case of of, of kind of wanting to, to to kind of get in there before there, were, before there was any criticism. But it, in the end, it's maybe, it's maybe been dealt with too harshly, I don't know. I think City needed to do that after, after the noise. Um, like, they, they needed to give an answer. Uh, obviously, I don't have the, the the context, the historical context that you have, guys, of what happens usually before that is like that. But I agree with Adam. It is irresponsible to frame the whole, <laughs> the entirety of City fans uh, to to the City actions of stupid kids. Like, I really don't understand why that was as much of a headline. Of course, what they did was horrendous and they are paying for that. And that's it. Like, end of story. There is nothing more to it. And I'm sure that the the respect to Bobby Charlton will be paid by City fans and everybody this Sunday. It's just silly. And it, it creates a toxic, unnecessarily toxic atmosphere towards City fans at Old Trafford. Yeah. Do you feel in a weird way, Adam, that there's there's almost been a morbid desire from some quarters for there to be trouble at this derby this weekend? Is it almost to prove the point? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And uh, Howard was talking on Twitter, wasn't he? If, if anybody remembers, before the 08 derby, uh, one red top writer put something about uh, there should be one policeman for every single away supporter in the ground to make sure that there were, it was... And this has been very similar in the build-up where it's like, was it Ian Herbert? I don't even want to give him the, the airtime, but he wrote something about uh, should all City fans. And it's like, wh- what do you want? I can 99.999% guarantee that there won't be any any trouble whatsoever from City fans on Sunday. There won't be anything because the minority who did it, and even anyone thinking about doing it, they're not going to do it in two and a half thousand City fans because they'll be the ones who get turfed out by their own fans. Yeah. You, 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 see, you see fans police themselves in these incidents. Exactly. Yeah. Ex- exactly. And it, it was like that in 08. And it's, that's where we are impeccable and everything came from. But it was never going to be any different. 
because the fans police themselves and the only trouble that's been stirred here is as i said two and a half thousand city fans getting into old trafford and all these back pages every single newspaper had it on the back pages so city disgraced themselves and everything it's like they want something they need something to go at and the two kids have managed to stir all this up i mean come on now it's just very stupid isn't it yeah, well, uh, let's not give it any more airtime. Let's look at the football now, Fred, because um, given how City have been playing recently and how United have been playing recently, um, it, it kind of feels like this one should only go one way. And yet, um, we know in derby games, it doesn't always work like that. So how do you see this game going? I know I know that derbies, they have this aura, they have that mystique. And I agree that that is the same in every corner of the world. It's the same in Brazil, it's the same here. But City are playing so much better. Like City are not near their peak, but they are so much closer to their peak than United, of course. Like I was at Old Trafford against Copenhagen and it was an embarrassing first half, especially. Of course, the second half we have like the the nice redemption stories of Maguire and Onana, etc. But if you look at the football, it was still far away from ideal. Obviously, Sunday could be a story by itself, but I don't know. I don't see any logic um, on making United the favourites for this. Yeah, it's uh, you know just looking at the at the league table. Like if if you were to tell me this weekend City were going away to any of the teams that were ahead of United, I would feel a lot a lot more uncomfortable that they that they could go away and get a result. You look at, at the teams there: Tottenham better than United, Arsenal better than United, Liverpool, Villa, Newcastle, Brighton, all like frighten me a lot more than United. And yet, like on a on a pure footballing level, on yet and yet you go to the derby this weekend and you're like, well, you know what United are like? They probably scab a result here. This is the sort of thing that they do. So like like can can you give us from a, a non city fan perspective? Can you give us a reason to calm down about it all? <laughs> I don't want to be responsible for that. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, like if honestly any any city fan that have been following uh, United, they will calm down themselves just by watching United play. Like, they don't have a proper left-back. Regulon is coming back, but they have a corridor on that side. Uh, Casemiro is way off the mark. Um, It's the same case when he plays for Brazil. It is a bit of a weird situation at the moment for us as well, but for United, it is concerning. So you have that area of the pitch a bit with a hole as well, regardless if Casemiro plays or not. Um, so you have so many areas on the pitch that you can explore offensively. And yes, the only concern that I would have is Hoyland. He is a good player. He is spacey. He creates chances. But I think that's too little to to be that concerned. So yes, please calm down. Yeah. Um, Adam, I, hearing that United have a massive hole at left-back, does that uh, scream to you, get Doku on the right-hand side? Or does it scream to you, um, you know, control players, get Bernardo out there, make sure everything, make sure City pin them back for an hour, an hour or so to uh, to, to, to really impose themselves on the game? Uh, I haven't got Doku in my 11 that I've, I've picked. So I think he he's more likely to go for a Bernardo or a Foden out there maybe switch them both around because one can play right-hand side of the, the little midfield. Um, the other can play on the right. Uh, I think the thing with United is 
and the fear will always be that they've got pace, they've got someone who can create in the middle, and if we get caught, we're in trouble. Um, that's, uh, we've not seen enough of that Hoyland, but he looks miles better than Martial or anyone else they've had up front for a while. Um, so that's always the fear. But as you say, if, if you didn't, if it wasn't United's badge, and it wasn't their name playing, and we were going to, you'd think, yeah, we should, we should just win this. Yeah. So. Who's who is in your uh, forward line then? Because uh, obviously uh, Doku played so much on on Wednesday night. Grealish as well. Um, you've obviously got Foden who didn't play midweek. Bernardo mm. played uh, about twenty minutes. Alvarez has been the go-to guy this season. He played about twenty minutes in midweek. You feel maybe those two are going to come back. Maybe those three are going to come back in, and yeah. uh, and the other two maybe not. I don't know. My my only worry is he's going to. I really don't want to see Kovacic or Nunes anywhere near it because I think. If he really wants to, he can get away with having Haaland up top with Alvarez, Grealish and Foden on either side, and you could put Bernardo in next to Rodri in this game, I think, just to because if we're going to play Stones as well, we know Stones can drop into the middle, and then Bernardo and Foden can switch, and it makes us way more fluid, and that takes us right back to the the start of the episode when we said about Rodri and Stones. If you play them both, the control is there, like the the level of control is is wildly better. So I think we can afford then to be a bit more forward thinking. And I think Doku off the bench in this game for for Grealish, maybe a bit later on, is a bit more appealing to me. That he can come on, he can really shake things up if we need to. But I, I think you need Grealish on there for control. Alvarez is obviously going to start because he, he's scoring so many goals and creating so many chances and you can't really drop Foden. And Bernardo knows exactly what to do. Um, you can bring Stones and Diaz back in. We're getting towards our best 11, aren't we, really? If you drop um, De Bruyne in there somewhere, I think we're pretty much there. So hopefully he doesn't, hopefully he doesn't go kind of the Kovacic route because I, I don't think we need it. Again, take United's badge away, take the name away. I think we can afford to be a little bit more direct and we weren't direct enough against Arsenal, but that was because there was no Rodri. Yeah. So um, with Rodri in is what I'm saying, we can be a little bit more dominant or we should be anyway. We shouldn't be going there to defend because it will just get beaten. So I, t- I tell you what, all of, a, all of a sudden, after you've said all that, um, I'm sorry, but City are just winning this game. I can't, I can't say anything else. Oh, you no. filled, you filled me with so much confidence with what you've just said. <laughs> oh no. I think yeah. I've done the opposite to me. Cause I thought, well, <laughs> We'll do all that and still Rashford will end up scoring from 40 yards. I hadn't taken that into consideration. Um, It's interesting what Adam says about uh, Kovacic and and Nunes, uh, Fred. What what have you made of them at City this season so far? Um, Nunes, not really seen a lot of him. And then, you know, not not many people were impressed with his performance against young boys. Um, And then, I mean, Kovacic, after a good start, seems to have slowed down a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I was was impressed with Kovacic at first, but now I'm... I'm having question marks around him. Uh, Mateus, give him time. Like I, I see first signs of a very good footballer. It's just a matter of adapting to a completely different team and atmosphere and yeah. strategy. In compared. fairness, he's, he's not played a lot as a year. No, yeah. Like he played for Wolves and then before Sporting Lisbon. It's like, it's like another language. So he's trying to learn a new language. And I think he, he's he got the quality. He's got the... the, the the skills, um, it's just a matter of adapting, but we know that City can't afford to give minutes to players that are not ready. So I hope he he keeps up to to the demands 
Um, yeah, I do, I do, I do like Kovacic, but not for this game. I agree with Adam. Yeah. Um, away from City, Adam, uh, Paul Tierney's been appointed the referee again uh, for this game. He was the referee last season who decided that Marcus Rashford wasn't interfering with play after the linesman had flagged him off. Um, does 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 the referee appointment ever get to you? Are you ever are you ever nervous about a referee appointment in that sense? No, because they're all bad. <laughs> like, Fair enough. <laughs> no, genuinely, we're at the point where they're all they're all rubbish. So. I can't. I mean, I can't start looking at last season and thinking, "Oh, he did that in that game." We're going to end up like Liverpool fans who think they're all that their sons play for them or whatever it is. So, no, I'm. I'm not. I'm not getting into that because it'll end up being we'll get a decision for us that shouldn't go. And no, I, I can't let that be the thing that makes me nervous. Yeah, like, I'm, I'm nervous. There's much more, much more enough, to, much more elsewhere to be nervous about in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and we know that that decision was really bad. Like it was really bad last year. So I suppose the the positive is that it can't ever be that bad again. Maybe don't so. say that. <laughs> don't say that. Um, it's it's kind of on City, I guess, Adam, to make sure that incidents like that don't matter because yeah. that, when that decision was given, if they'd have got the head screwed on for the next twenty minutes, they could have gone and won that game for a second time, couldn't they? Oh yeah, heads completely fell off at that point, and the game could have been won before that in that game and as you say after that so City only had themselves to blame after that obviously it it doesn't help when a, a, they get a free goal but uh, we can't let that happen this year we, we really can't because that result could have been the one that stopped us winning the league yeah. obviously it wasn't in the end but yeah hope, hopefully we aren't relying on any sort of bad decisions yeah um, just looking at the officiating in general Fred um, what's your take on it because you look at, at Certainly the last few weeks for City. Against Brighton, uh, Igor Julio could have been sent off for, for two yellow cards. He absolutely did John Stones and didn't get booked and then uh, followed through on Rodri and did get booked. Um, Huang for Wolves didn't get a second yellow card when he quite easily could and should have done. Um, Kovacic somehow didn't get sent off at, at, at um, Arsenal. Do you think this season the referees are they're maybe not controlling the games as well as they should be doing? No, no. And they are all bad. I agree. Like, it's just, I, I really, really, really dislike the referee theme everywhere I look at. Like, when, when I left Brazil, one of the things that I was uh, fed up with was the amount of referee decisions, debates, time on TV, on the papers and blah, blah, blah. And when I came here, it was a bit refreshing to see it was not as much. But now it is getting towards that amount of, I don't know, you turn on a Sky Sports debate and they will be half of the time talking about a VAR line or a red card or a yellow card, a second yellow card. And I understand that just happens because of the lack of quality of the refereeing team. But also, don't we get a bit too much, I don't know, um, we're very into it, aren't we? We we we, yeah. do like, we like it at the moment. The discourse around it. Yeah, every every fan feels their club is the one that no one wants to be winning, and that's that's that that that's the whole story for me, really. 
Yeah. Um, Adam, just finishing on uh, the officials, uh, Kanji's not available this weekend. He was sent off uh, against Brighton. Um, this was what he said about that red card uh, after the game, uh, ahead of the Young Boys game. I was really frustrated. Um, I think it was, wasn't even a foul. Um, I saw him going the other side. I touched him a little bit on the hip, but then I let go of him after not even a second. Um, and he takes two steps, he falls down, and the referee thinks it's a, it's a second yellow. Um, I'm not even sure if he first thought so if it's a second yellow, but then after um, he gave it to me and I was uh, I was really disappointed. I'm happy that we won the game, but um, obviously I would have loved to play next uh, next weekend in the derby. You're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. You've made it this far, so don't give up now. Now, I have two thoughts on this, uh, because first off, he did put his arm across him and he did pull him back and, you know, maybe the fall was delayed, but like ultimately it feels like a yellow card. Um, but at the same time, if you're not, if you're if you're letting a lot of other stuff go, it kind of like it, it feels a bit harsh to go for this one, you know, rules is rules, doesn't it? Yeah, I didn't, to be fair, I didn't really care. I just wanted the game to end. And this is no slight on a Kanji. He's been fantastic. But I really want Stones and Diaz to play together. Yeah. And I really wanted them to play together in the derby. And this makes Pep's decision a little bit easier, I think. Um, I think it was a good one to take, though. Yeah, they I was were say, breaking nine, 90 plus five, they're breaking away. A couple of minutes left. Yeah. yeah. It was it was pure Fernandinho. Just the whole thing was, he just, he weighed it up in his head and went, ah, oh, sod it, he's going to have to go. Um, it probably is a red card. It's, is it harsh on 95 minutes? Probably not if Brighton go and score, I suppose, is the argument, isn't it? So, um, yeah, fine. One that we'll take. But you know what? The worst part of that game was Rodri kicking the ball away after five minutes or whatever it was. And I thought, I swear to God, if you get booked again, I'm on the pitch. <laughs> because if, if he'd have got booked again for descent, oh my, I would have completely lost the plot. Away, uh, so away at Liverpool, Arsenal without him and away at Old Trafford without oh, him. It's not don't, uh, yeah. <laughs> don't, when he kicked the ball away, I, I thought, what's going on? I thought Pep's going to kill him. But luckily it was a Kanji. Uh, sorry, a Kanji, but yeah. Yeah, fair point. Um, let's get some predictions then. Uh, Chris Higginbottom got two correct score predictions on last week's show. So now we're on £355 raised so far this season on the charity bet. The winnings are going to the Man City Fans Food Bank Support Group. William Hill is giving us three £10 correct score singles and we've just got the Manchester Derby. Adam, what are you having for this one? I don't like my prediction. Um, I sent you my prediction just as I woke up. I hadn't really fully functioned yet and I've gone for a 1-1 draw. I don't know why. The question is... Would you like to revise that? Because we could revise it. Oh, no, but now I feel like I'll jinx it if I revise it. I'm going to be, really, I'm going to be Mr. Cautious, and I'm going to say 1-1 because we'll we'll somehow cock it up. Yeah. So I'll stick well, with it. Paul Turney will uh, say that Marcus Rashford wasn't interfering again. Um, one all is uh, 13-2 to two and £65 if you're right. Um, I have, given Higgy's good form, um, I have uh, passed my bet over to Higgy for this week. So uh, I got in touch with him, said, what was he having? Uh, and he's gone for 2-1 City win at Old Trafford. So that's 8-1 to one and £80 if he's right. Fred, what are you going for? You can see clearly I'm not the fun here because I'm the most, most optimistic. So I went for a 3-1 win. Um, for City at Old Trafford, so hopefully yeah. I'm right. 
Three yes, one. Please. Yes, please, because it's also twelve to one. So one hundred and twenty pounds for the charity, if you are right. Exactly. Uh, remember, you've got to be eighteen or over to gamble. Prices can change. And for information on how to gamble responsibly, take a look at begambleaware.org. We are going to squeeze in a couple of listener questions to finish. Uh, get in touch on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. You can also email us as well through the website. Just go to bluemoonpodcast.com, fill out the form there, and send in your question. Uh, we start with Simon on Twitter. This one's more for you, Adam, because he says, uh, "Do you ever miss being the underdog in the derby?" I can't explain properly how I feel because I love beating United, but it's different now that we should beat them each time instead of it being an unexpected nice surprise. It's a very lovely question, that. Uh, I could probably make an argument for yes and no. Yes, because there was no pressure. It didn't really matter. If we won, we'd just ruin their day. But it's, I think on the flip side, it's just really funny how much better we are than them now. <laughs> and if we don't win, it is like the big game that they have to like that is their biggest win of the season because they ain't going to win the, the thing are yeah. they so it's it's quite it has its pros and cons but when we do beat them now they just think oh we're really not very good and when they beat us they think oh that's such a big win now we're going to go and win the league and then they don't they finish seventh so yeah yes and no do you remember um kind of how how we'd celebrate a derby win back in the day and all we'd get from united fans is uh, yeah but you know we're going to be in the in the title picture and like it's just completely flipped round and now it's mm. it, it, like w- when we do it back to them it's like they don't see the irony of of uh, of kind of like this is you've become everything you hated sort of thing yeah but does it surprise you no um they 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 don't know what it is to lose like this generation of fans well to be fair this generation of fans doesn't know what it is to win but um it's quite funny isn't it and it that's the thing we'll go there on sunday in the knowledge of if we win great we can carry on this this little bit of momentum that we're building and we haven't won there for what seems like a while if they win it's like all right sound well we'll go and win 17 games on the bounce from no, uh, November the thirtieth, and then we'll win the league. So it's it's quite funny, really, isn't it? Yeah, Fred, are you? Um, I, I said you said you went to watch the um, or you covered the United Copenhagen game. Um, I was seeing United fans uh, talking about how um, nobody knew how much they'd had to suffer when they were watching performances like that, and you know it genuinely made me think. You know, United could do with a relegation here, just to like just to really hammer home how this is not suffering <laughs> at the moment. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I know. It's like um, when you see a rich kid complaining about their old iPhone, isn't it? Like, oh, <laughs> yeah, it's not updated yet. So yeah, they they don't know what it is to really, really suffer. And I, I feel like a city fan because my club in Brazil were in the third division in 1999 as well. So I know what it is to suffer. Oh, love that. Hands across the Atlantic. I like that. Um, we're going to finish with uh, this from Dom on Twitter, who says, uh, who is the biggest bullet that City have dodged when it comes to transfers that didn't happen? Um, plenty out there, I guess, Adam. Uh, is, is there anybody in particular that you uh, still to this day think, thank God he never signed? Ronaldo, next. Fair point. I was going to say, there's, <laughs> uh, there's plenty of names out there. I, I, like That genuinely wasn't the one I was thinking of. But okay. Yeah, Ronaldo, this. I saw a good, I think it was something on Twitter and it, it might have been around the same question. There was a really good answer and somebody said Kaka, which I thought, what? And then the whole, the whole thing was, maybe we would have gone too big too soon and none of this would have happened, which is, <laughs> is a bit like a maybe, but uh, no, Ronaldo, 100%. I was going to say. Don't, oh, I still 
it makes my skin crawl that that nearly happened. Yes, it would have been, it would have been really funny for five minutes, and then you'd have thought, oh my god, yeah. what have we done? This just doesn't work as well. Um, can we, can we honestly, Fred? Can we honestly say Kaká is a bullet dodged with, um, uh, you know, Manchester's number one Brazilian journalist on the podcast? No, 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 no please. <laughs> you have so many bullets to choose from. So no, no, Kaká. Uh, my my bullet would be Maguire. Like I. I've never seen what Pep apparently saw. Like, he's terrible at a high line. He is too slow to run. He's too slow to make decisions, fast decisions. Like, how would he work in that team? I don't know. Pep would probably prove me wrong, but I I, I can never see Maguire playing for City, no. Yeah, and here we are. He's now going to score the winner on Sunday. Who who knew that? Like, like Who knew that we no. had such influence over things? Just, just don't. um now my uh, my suggestion was going to be and again this this sounds like real uh it it sounds like i could really um upset a few people with this uh but i genuinely think harry kane is a is a bullet dodged because um yeah because first off who knew he was holding spurs back as much as he was because look what they're doing without him now um and second off uh without kane uh, with Kane, I don't think Haaland signs, and I was always, no. always, always in Camp Haaland when whenever the links were uh, were starting. So, uh, we, so yeah. we did get we got the shiny one, didn't we? We got like the really shiny one in Haaland. I still, I still think, what would we have done with Kane? Like, would he have been? Would he have come too deep? Would Pep have made him a midfielder? Um, or would he have gone and scored sixty goals last year? I, we'll never know, mm. but. Uh, I mean, we signing Kane would have been incredible at the time, but we didn't know then, did we, that we could have got Haaland. So, yeah, you are right in that if we had got Kane, Haaland wouldn't have signed and things would be wildly different. So, And we'd be so much more boring with Kane. Like Haaland's such a different superstar that we've, yeah. we've never seen at the club before. So People think we're right. boring anyway, yeah. So it's, uh, yeah. <laughs> well... Yeah, um, I, uh, I I know for I, like no Spurs fans listen to this, Fred. So it's all right. We can slight Kane as much as we want. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't know. I I think I think he would have been beautiful as well, but a different kind of beautiful. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. But I I think it's an interesting debate for sure. Yeah, right. Well, that brings us to a close for this week's Blue Moon podcast. Thank you very much for listening, and thanks also to my guests for this one, Adam Keyworth. Thanks for having me, and uh, hopefully we can bring three points home on Sunday. Yeah, calm down, mate. You'll be all. It'll all be all right. And uh, Fred Caldera. Thank you, thank you. I'm very curious to see what bringing a Fred before the derby makes happen. Let's see. Uh, it made no difference when he played for them, so don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hang on. We've got to finish on this now. <laughs> You're so funny. There we go. (laughs) I'll be back next week to review whatever happened in the derby. I'll see you then. That was the Blue Moon Podcast. Please give the show a rating and a review where you can. And don't forget, you can listen without the ads by signing up to our Patreon. You'll also get an extra episode each Monday. Here's a clip of this week's. We were in quite a, a flash chairman's lounge underneath the main stand at the Etihad a yeah. couple of seasons ago. And Gota had been given what I suppose is a kind of a retrospective trophy because I think he got, well, he would have got the golden boot that season for City. He got given this glass globe trophy. My mate says to him, Oh, can I? Oh, that's amazing. Can I hold it? Sean's like, Yeah, you can. Just, just, just do <laughs> just be, be careful. careful. Yeah. Just do be careful. Anyway, it was in the box. So my mate Dan 
is sat on like a bar stool, so his knees aren't quite leveled. He puts this box on his lap, and Aww. I can see it coming a mile off, and it's, it, it happens in slow motion. Now, I barely have to tell the rest of the story. You know what's coming. I know what's coming, and I'm, so, I'm very worried that you're never going to be invited back again in Oh, my <laughs> God. It was just the most... I, I thought it was... I genuinely thought, well, this can't be real. This is a dream. This, this, <laughs> this can't be what's happening right now. Um, but basically, Dan puts it on his lap. The box isn't quite secured at the bottom, so it just slips straight out smashes onto the ground into what must must be a hundred thousand pieces <laughs> the whole of this restaurant that's probably got 300 people and just go deadly quiet and you just look at it and you just think that cannot have just happened <laughs> you can listen to more of that at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast and join us again next time for another episode <laughs>